0: I'm David Clayton, and this is the Way of Beauty podcast. Conversations on Catholic faith and culture. I'm with my friend Charlie Dyst, who is not only the technician, he also keeps me on track with occasional questions and timely summarizations. This is episode 17, Creating Community in the Parish.
1: Maybe we can even just start there. I wanted to talk about that idea of uh, people as consumers of, of spirituality versus what would the alternative be? I guess uh, not consumer. Are we are we contributors, producers, contributors, co-creators? Creators. Yeah,
0: co-creators probably better. Yes, yes, um. uh, yeah.
1: I thought about this a lot actually in the in the build up to my joining the the Catholic Church, where I was sort of church shopping, you could say. Yes. Uh, I came into the church first as a, a Protestant. Were at, just at a place where I felt comfortable with the community and the, had beautiful liturgy, and there were a lot of things that attracted me to it, and uh, never actually got particularly involved there. But uh, th- there is always this sense of different Christian denominations and communities as uh, places where you're hoping to find some something authentic, something that is, you know, the the one true church, and it ended up being more of Kind of intellectual arguments and different reasons for deciding that the Catholic Church was uh, was was the you know the uh, the best place to kind of uh, I mean that that the the Catholic Church has the best claim to you know be the uh, you know the, the church that Jesus Christ founded. That was what I came to believe. But then there still is the question of well, if I'm dissatisfied with what I'm getting at my parish, then then what do I do? If if there are other offerings that seem like maybe they uh, are are more fulfilling, then how do I how do I kind of grapple with that? So I'm interested in this in this question of uh, of you know how do we not necessarily just find the the, the Church of the Apostles, but
0: actually co create it or contribute to it? Right. So th- this there's a There's a number of things that contribute to this idea. Um, One uh, goes back to uh, my, just my own spiritual journey, and this guy, David Birtwistle, who I've described, um, very influential in my conversion, uh, and uh, led me to the church, really. And he was uh, an older guy who was pretty blunt with me, and I was prepared to listen to what he had to say. He took me through these spiritual exercises that he promised would make me an artist. He was enticing me with this, but then gradually I was transformed. But um, I I was in London at this stage and I used to go along to uh, groups that I thought um, might give me what I was looking for. It wasn't even churches initially, it was community groups and uh, just uh, things that, people that did things that I thought I might enjoy. and. I'd complained about another yet another one to him and he just remarked he just said, well you were there too. What did you do? And I had I'd never even thought about that <laughs> that here I was describing this group as though I was separate from it, but actually I was part of it and that was the point he was making that uh, you know that I have a I'm in a position to contribute very often now not always, and it doesn't apply to every group. But it did change my attitude. And this was reinforced many years later uh, in a conversation with Father Brad Elliott, who's a Dominican priest uh, based here in the Western province, uh, uh, very close to where we live in the East Bay. Um, And I was talking about um, these ideas, actually, of uh, trying to create a community. And he remarked, he said, yes, he said, many people today uh, reflects the consumer society and uh, we tend to go along to things thinking about what is this giving me uh, what can I take away from it and what we don't do as much is think what can I contribute and the, the paradox that both of them were referring to is that, is the timeless truth that it's I get what I give that in many of these situations particularly in relationships with others uh, it's what I put in which actually governs to a large degree what I'm going to get out of it. And so um, through this, and especially through David in the early days, he altered my attitude so that um, I began to think in terms of creating the fellowship that I sought. Um, it's, I don't know if everybody feels like this, but certainly I was extremely lonely uh, and unhappy in my 20s when I started to reflect on these things, and that began my Christian journey. Um, but always there is, the, you know, there's a certain dissatisfaction with life. That's part of the human condition, uh, I think, as, as I understand it. I, I believe that most people feel, will acknowledge that they feel this. Um, and what the, the people like David and Father Brad were doing were getting me to think rather than uh, what is it, why, why won't this organisation give me what I want? Why, why can't I get this? It's just to think, well I can actually create the fellowship and the community around me. Why not try to attract people towards uh, to me who think like I do? Um, and uh, is, and then the question is, well is there a way to do this? And uh, I think there is, I've tried various things over the year. I, it, it, over the years, it would mean that I began to try to create, start groups that did things, whether it's singing vespers and taking it into prisons. I, I would begin, at least, to take the initiative. Uh, but then, uh, just about a year ago, I heard this great talk at the Melkite. The Melkites are Byzantine Catholics uh, at a Melkite parish in Los Gatos in California. And this was when the, uh, the Bishop of North America, I think, it might even be a wider area than that, was visiting. So he's normally based in the Boston area and he spends a large part of his year visiting the parishes around the country and addressing the parishes. And so he came to this little parish in uh, Los Gatos, St. Elias, and spoke to us about the basis upon which we could create community and create a parish. Now he was talking to us because this was a, is classified as a mission parish. It's it's a small uh, congregation at this point, and they're looking to attract people, Um, and he, Uh, outlined a number of principles that he felt that if we put them into practice um, and if it's God's will the parish would grow and he based this on his analysis of what he read in the Acts of the Apostles. I I say his I don't know whether it's his or he's getting it from somewhere else but through say an analysis and it's just a very very simple talk. Now what he said was this that uh, if you look at the way that the church grew in the uh, in the early years of the church uh, there are certain there are some patterns that we can discern Um, and so uh, for the parish now this is different from uh, at this point the the, the overall point of this book, I, I should say, mm-hmm. that what, really the point of this book is to tell us how we can create community regardless of our situation. But what I want to do is outline the principles as, as articulated by Bishop Nicholas in regard to the parish, um, and then what we'll do is we'll think about how we can put those into practice in other scenarios if we need to. Um, so, in regard to the parish... Um, He outlined um, just very few simple principles. The first one um, is liturgy, worship, uh, which at the parish level is the province of the priest with assistance from others, of course. Um, And he was stressing the orthodoxy of the worship. So these are Byzantine Catholics. um, And I, I don't know, what's the the people who are listening to this what their view is of Byzantine Catholics but the view tends to be that in the Eastern Church everything is sorted out it's much easier with regard to liturgy it's in the Roman Church that there are difficulties um, but what was interesting was that he spoke about how on his visits um, he was uh, correcting liturgy he wasn't afraid to go in there and say this is not right this is the tradition this is what you do um, and so it was really um, Helping these parishes to have um, Orthodox with a little liturgy, Um, and so that's the first thing. And but he said that um, lay people will have certain charisms that will lead them to participate in different aspects of what the parish does. So some people might particularly want to assist with the liturgy as appropriate to their stationed as laypeople. So whether it's as lector or uh, th- that title is called Reader in the Byzantine Church and so uh, I ended up joining the choir and I, I sing the, some of the, the readings from the, uh, from the Bible. So can you just summarize again
1: what, uh, what the Bishop's idea was about what made the Church of the Acts of the Apostle Distinct and what is missing from that today?
0: Okay, so there are four headings Um, liturgy uh, And I was just sort of enlarging on that perhaps I should have given the the four headings before I expanded expanded on it. So liturgy the next one is sociability hospitality Um, and so it's about welcoming people and always putting on a meal actually after the liturgy this is what they do um, then education and then charity so that is alms giving giving time and money and resources both within the community and uh, the community as a whole helping people externally and what he said is that if those four elements are in place liturgy uh, the hospitality, education, and charity. Then the fifth thing that you're looking for, evangelization, will happen naturally. Um, and I'll go through each of these and just describe how he talked about them. But the point he made is that uh, each of us, as Christians, have charisms uh, that suit us for one of those functions within a parish. Uh, these are natural functions, or that build community Um, and each of us is particularly suited we can participate in any but particularly suited to do that so uh, when we try to discern our personal vocation uh, that can involve looking at what we do professionally our status in life but an important part of that is also how can I contribute in community building um, and to the church as as a community Um, and so each of us will have one particular aspect which probably uh, which we can contribute to uh, well uh, but any of these will do and the easy way to of course to do this is go for where your inclination is where the need is and uh, you find out what you're most naturally suited to so the the liturgy is one um, and then Uh, the hospitality uh, this is something that he said um, involves uh, being welcoming greeting people uh, and the pastor at this church Father Sebastian uh, makes a point of telling us all to look out for people who are new and welcoming them inviting them to the uh, social uh, which at the church is usually a meal so it always involves uh, you know coffee, of course, but also at some sort of level, sitting down and eating together and he stressed how this goes with uh, worship, worship, and eating <laughs> seem to go together in community building so if the in a, any social situation, if we eat, try to pray as well it would be the you know, the corollary of that um, and so uh that sounds fairly simple, but it does mean, therefore, that people need to be ready to stay, give their time, hang on a bit afterwards, and then be ready to make the, the, the food happen. That's going to happen from within the, the parish, from people who are ready to do that. Um, the next one was education. And so, uh, again, my model of what he was referring to is is... As I have seen it in this little parish, this uh, Saint Elias, so they they they've done it exactly as the bishop described. They have Sunday school afterwards, and all the children uh, they uh, go off into a separate room. And the ideal, uh, the bishop said, is that they're taught by a couple, a man and a woman, which is not always done um, in most in Sunday schools, but. The reason he said that is that he wanted the children to start looking, therefore, naturally to their father and their mother in the family as teachers. And so it reinforces the fact that uh, mum and dad are teachers in the family um, and then, in the same way, their family experience will reinforce their experience in the Sunday School so they will tend to look to these two naturally as authority figures working in tandem and be be inclined to learn from them. And I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah.
1: So this is an interesting uh, conversation about the parish life. And now maybe we should, could step back and just talk a little bit more about how this podcast, this episode and the coming episodes are all going to hinge on this new concept that uh, that we're planning to introduce eventually in a more concise book format Uh, but just about how we can kind of recover uh, uh, a way of living in the world but not of it this sort of uh, you know monastic semi monastic option Uh, there's talk these days of a Benedict option where uh, Orthodox Christians are encouraged to maybe move out of of the cities into more rural areas where they can exercise more autonomy over their communities without the uh, the all the influences that come along with modern city life that might be inimical to, uh, to to living as a Christian. But I think part of what you want to say about parishes uh, that are you know already existing parishes in urban and suburban areas is that they are fully compatible with the you know living a a life that is you know imitating the uh you know imitating christ and imitating the uh sort of structure of the early church uh so what what is this idea of the cloister and the cul-de-sac or the 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 urban anchorite or whatever we want to call yes
0: so um the idea here is that um even if you're not part of a parish uh, that, it, it, that is able to implement these things, um, it is possible to create community around us. And so uh, there are many people today, um, I feel, who feel, um, not, uh, feel as though they're not part of a community, especially in the city situation. You hear um, people talk of dissatisfaction um the desire to escape that especially christians feel that somehow everything they wish to do is being undermined and i do feel very strongly that uh, we don't need to feel like that that what we have is stronger than the secular culture um, and we can work in the environment where we are right now wherever you're sitting listening to this or reading this uh, we can make a start on um creating community around us and it's down to us and it's down to um, the activities that we do and the attitudes that we take and uh, so the principles that I heard Bishop Nicholas describe at Saint Elias and I've seen Father Sebastian now implement so I talked about the education Uh, in addition to that um, not only does he do the Sunday school but he does weekly Bible classes and uh, he leads those with more conventional education. All of these things can be done in a way that allows us to build up community. And the supernatural element um, is there too. Uh, that Bishop Nicholas argued that uh, if we take the right steps uh, and we contribute as we can, we will, people will be attracted to what we have collectively and to the way we are individually, that each of us will will flourish within that in such a way that we draw others into that community, they find their place, and they in turn flourish and draw others in. And um, I believe that it's possible to do this in such a way that um, even if none of this is available to you Mm -hmm. at at, at a parish, if you're totally isolated in, in that sense, Uh, But nevertheless, you're surrounded by people perhaps whom you feel are unlikely to be sympathetic to uh, joining you in something. There are things that you can do that will allow you to gather people around you. Um, And even if you don't manage that, even if you don't find those people, just in the trying, you will be successful. Uh, This is something, again, that uh, my old mentor David always stressed to me, the things in the spiritual world, it's in the trying that you are successful. So Mm -hmm. you might end, I I doubt that this will be the case, but you might end up being a lone person implementing these things, making yourself available, and nobody is interested. Frankly, I don't believe that that will be the case, but um, it might be that. But if that were the case... It is in trying to do that that you, that you will, uh, suit by supernatural means, in a way, you will feel part of a community. You will feel connected to the church, uh, in a way, perhaps that you don't at the moment. Or so certainly, that was my experience. It was when I started to turn things around, and say, what can I give? How can I create community? That I immediately started to feel different, um, and what I was actually experiencing was the I, I believe is the consolation of the Holy Spirit which is which comes even if other people aren't there yeah and it that's makes, the fellowship that I speak the fellowship of the Holy Spirit
1: it makes me think of Moses or any of the biblical figures who don't live to see the fulfillment of the promise that was made to them you know Moses dies before making it to the promised land and you know Abraham who who is, is you know doesn't live to see the what what uh, what grows from his yes. seed of faith, and that that sense that you're on a uh, journey to somewhere, and even if you don't reach the destination even in your lifetime, that the journey will be all the more more satisfying than whatever you would have done uh, instead of it.
0: Yes, I think that's that's the, the case, um, and the, the great thing about this is that um I, we don't need to be therefore as a result of this complaining about that what other people in the church are doing mm-hmm. it it gets it gets me away from that i'm a natural whiner i i'm always you know if you draw breath i'm going to criticize you for it it's just the the way i am you know you're not doing it in the right pattern or something sort of um And I'm inclined to look and criticise and find fault in all that is around me. And uh, I want things to conform to the way I want them to be. Now, that does me no good whatsoever. Um, And very often, even if I was in a position to to express those views, it actually doesn't get me anywhere. People aren't prepared to listen. um, Other people uh, may not agree with what I feel. Um, I only have limited scope to influence others some sometimes I can but usually for example in churches I, I I really don't like wagging my finger at priests and the idea that I'm just there you know giving the priest a sense that I'm sitting in the congregation uh, finding fault with the way he's doing the liturgy now it may not be great it may not be what I like but this uh, what this does is it puts the onus on me if, if uh, just as David did, you know, if you're there too, what can you do? So you may be able to, to contribute a little bit at the parish level, um, think about, even if they do nothing else that, in a way that you approve, what can I do that, so that that little bit is, is there and make myself available? And usually most places will be happy that you, you offer to contribute something Um, at the parish. But beyond that, that turning this attitude around will transform us. And one hopes then by association with the people we attract, um, we can actually then transform the society around us. We can be leaven within a a secular world.
1: Yeah. Michelangelo is supposed to have said, uh, criticize by creating. And this idea that the most effective form of criticism is just showing that there's a better way of doing something, I think has resonated powerfully with me as someone who also maybe identifies as a natural whiner or, (laughs) you know, and and whining in its uh, chronic form turns into a kind of resentment that, uh, you know, in your book, The Vision for You, you talk a lot about how resentments can be... You know, poison to to the to spiritual progress. Yes.
0: Um, oh, it's, it's certainly very very dangerous for me. Um, and uh, I think that uh, always that it's about trying to find a solution, but also accepting that I can't transform the whole world on my own. Um, there's things going on in Rome, for example, that I may not have approve of, but there's nothing I can do about that. Uh, I, I just have to ask myself, um, what can I do? And, and usually the answer is be free of resentment, uh, do the, the things that I know uh, as best I can are going to allow me to conform to God's grace, and then try and offer it to people in the relationships around me. There's a, a little story actually, so this is going back a long way to the first Gulf War. Um, and with David again. And uh, at that stage, I think in Britain, most people were, or well, certainly he was in favor of it. So this is the, the first one when uh, Iraq invaded, I think it was Kuwait. the United, was it Kuwait, okay, that's right, yeah. Um, and so we went and liberated, if that's the right word, Kuwait, and, and he felt that that was the right thing to do. Uh, but I remember him saying, he said, I, I've thought about what I can do to contribute to this. And he said, the, the best thing I can think of is just be free of resentment. In other words, just work on the relationships and the community that I am part of here. And by natural human connection, uh, that will have the greatest effect. If we're only six degrees, you know, I'm. he was only six degrees of separation away from Stormy Norman Schwarzkopf or whatever the general was called. Um, but the point he's making is that... Um, We work with where we are and with what we're able to do and when we think of ourselves as part of the body of Christ that is the best thing I'm not the head I'm just a a, a tiny little cell within it and the best thing I can do is be that cell
1: so you're describing the parish life as kind of the hub of uh, of this movement Um, if you are Coming into the church, or if you are, you know, at a parish where you're feeling like this kind of model that you're describing is absent, uh, or that it would be, you know, difficult to to move it in that direction by yourself, um, is you know, is, is this is it necessary f- uh, for this to work for you to already have a kind of solid
0: foundation to build on at the parish level? Um, it's not necessary. It would be um, great, I think, if the parish really was the, the wellspring of this. Um, I think um, along with um, the the natural associations of man, you have the family and the nation, uh, you might say, but w- of course the church is one of them, and for most of us, the parish is the community that we are meant to be part of, just as for a monk it is the monastery, or a nun it's the convent, for us it's the parish. Now, what I would say is that um, as Christians, we should be a member of a parish. Uh, we should be contributing what we can and giving to it, but it may not be it may not be thriving, and it may not be that the that, that that is not the place where this is really going to flourish, uh, because there isn't interest in the, in there, and uh, we 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 can't. Or, uh, the, the the priest is in charge of the parish, and so if he is not interested or he's doing it in other ways which may be valid uh, then um, we say okay that's fine so I think the answer is do what you can but then it's not absolutely necessary that this generates from the people we meet in the parish That we, the idea is that we can apply these principles even of liturgy with the liturgy of the hours and start to practice this personally um, with the people whom with whom we interact in our daily lives um, and try to offer them this um, in particular ways. And we'll discuss how I envisage this in more detail uh, in future uh, chapters, future podcasts. Um, But even if it, it isn't happening at the parish level, we can create community around us that nevertheless participates in those characteristics of church community. Um, and th- these might be lay uh, communities uh, but they will have these aspects of prayer charity um, hospitality um, and education contained within them um, and even if we're, all we're doing is offering those to people and nobody's interested uh, nevertheless we will be in communion with the the church in a in a special way by doing this that's sense of isolation, I believe, will subside. It's uh, we, through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So it's not necessary for the parish to be this, but I think that um, if we do this, then this does not work in opposition with, with the parish. It, it works in harmony with it. Even if there's no apparent, if I'm the only connection, I go on Sundays and I seem anonymous at the Sunday Mass, because I just there's nothing that, that I can get involved with. Um, let's imagine an extreme situation. Um, nevertheless, what I'm doing will help to is it, it, in some way connected with what's going on in the parish through me. The fact that I'm going there and I'm participating in the mass, and I'm bringing into it the transformation that occurs and is enhanced through this activity outside. And it's this cycle of um, exit and return that is the pattern of worship. We go, uh, we worship God, we go to love and serve the, the community, uh, our fellows. Um, that in turn reinforces what we brought out and transforms us further to go in and be better able to worship God. And so this will add spectacularly, I believe, to our ability to contribute, um, however it may be um, in the the parish life, even if it's an extreme situation where all I do is turn up, go to Mass, and go away again. Mm. And I don't feel I'm talking to a person. I can't believe that there are many where it's that extreme, however poor it is. But even if that were the situation, this will work in harmony with it, and it derives its power from my participation in Sunday worship and it will add to it as well through my personal participation in it.
1: Yeah. What are the limits of this uh, path in terms of, you know, what if the the liturgy is so terrible at the parish that you just, you know, you feel like you're coming away from it each week with, uh, and this is a hypothetical. Again, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I've ever encountered this anywhere, but um, you know, when, when might it be time to, shop around or
0: <laughs> well we, we are allowed to, to look for a, a, a church that suits us and I think the liturgical consideration is paramount, it is in my mind um, but in the end you just got to pick one and go for it um, and uh, so that is, that, that's assuming you're making those sort of decisions but ultimately you've got to go somewhere and you've got to be part of something uh, and I think Um, that's once you've made that decision then for the most part you stick to it unless there are grave changes or something happens that makes that invalidates the decision you made uh, that's what you do Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: and so you work with what we are and then always once we settle on that our attitude is what can I give what can I add if people don't want what I can give that's great Uh, I will offer things to other people in different situations uh, outside the church, uh, the the, as in with a small C outside the parish scenario. But nevertheless, what I'm doing is going to add to it, whether they're aware of it or not.
1: Yeah, the idea of charity uh, and the parish being the the locus of charity within the church is another interesting idea. I think that uh, we've grown accustomed to. Bigger institutions, charitable institutions taking the the majority of the responsibility, even within the church, you see this the kind of large Catholic charities. Yes, uh, and in a sense, I've read arguments that this um, in some ways sterilizes or or uh, takes away the real kind of core of what Christian charity should be, which is partly an encounter with The other, or uh, that that you know, in the early church, it was a very different model. You might have had people opening up their homes uh, to to uh, a person in need. Whereas when we kind of put it in these institutions, not only does it then create more possibilities for you know breeding dependence or some other kind of perverse incentive. uh, There's there's less of the accountability on the person being helped to you know, and there's less of an incentive to just Kind of get the person back up on their feet if that's a possibility. Um, I think uh, that's one of the things that you could point to as a, a sort of corruption of Christianity. Uh, and this is so it sounds like it's kind of a return to a more personal form. Do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Um, yes. Uh, well, the the short answer is yes. I yes. I and I agree. <coughs> um, but the. You're absolutely right that the, the, there is this danger. While the motivation for creating these larger institutions is good, um, even at the government level, um, it's very difficult to argue against having any provision, any safety nets. Um, but uh, to the degree that it re- removes what happens at a local level, it's problematic and it's, not, it's about human dignity. Um, and I'm not, I'm certainly not going to set myself up as a a model for this. I, I, I I am dismayed at at how selfish and self-centered I can be in these situations. Um, but, uh, the idea, what we are trying to cultivate here is a sense of people being aware of each other, um, building friendships and trust, and then it's natural to want to help people out, um. They're not anonymous figures to whom you um, reach into your pocket and hand out a a bill or something. These are people with whom there is a relationship and uh, to whom you feel some desire, like an extension of the family, to help. Um, Now, this can work within the community and then the community can work beyond itself. (coughs) Um, and all of these things should be in place I think but uh, we're certainly trying to redress the balance here and exactly how that will work um, I can't say precisely, that will depend on the the different community Um, I do have a sense though that um, Protestant churches are perhaps a little better than this, I haven't been a member of a Protestant church for any length of time in my, in my life but at just observing the way that Protestants create communities they have a sense of how to create groups outside the Sunday experience um, which m- maybe in some of them is better than you, you get at the Catholic parishes I've been to so maybe in some ways I'm copying things that they do but Um, I think what the great advantage we have is the the Eucharist and the real presence, that if we start to get this even partially right, through God's grace, the impact can be powerful. Mm -hmm. And as as I I stress, it's not just about the visible effects. Um, This is about the impact it has on me um, as I try as well. Um, That It's going to add to my... uh, my capacity to love the more i try the more i will do so um, and my life will be happier and richer and better as a result yeah
1: let's talk more about charisms and how we can use our charisms within the parish there are some sort of obvious ways where if you are you know if you have a singing voice you can sometimes join a choir or if you're particularly warm and extroverted you might be on the welcoming team yeah but for people who are trying to figure out what their charisms are do you have any suggestions or what other roles are there that people might consider
0: well it, I would look at these categories um, these four categories and just think in the context of a parish what first of all what would I like to do um, and if nothing really jumps out at you hope it does what what where do I think I could be helpful? Mm. Um, and you just start there and work your way through and with charisms, usually um, the you know it by the effect, if you see what I mean that, that it, it, you're aware that you seem particularly good at doing it, and I think in many cases you don't know till you try it um, but I don't know that it would always be like that. For some people, it might be a little bit of a um, a grind, whichever one they do. Um, I heard someone talking about prayer once, and he, he said the uh, the importance of this is not the way it makes you feel, but it's the, the work you put in. Um, and so sometimes we have to do things because we know they're right, and we don't always feel elated and joyful as we do them. And it's inevitably, that's going to be the case in working out these uh, which of these we're meant to be part of, but there will be one in which we're able to contribute well in a particular way, I'm, I'm sure of that, um, and it might find might take a little bit of time just to discover what that is.
1: Yeah one more note on the uh, social and hospitality uh, point, which is you know a lot of churches have kind of a coffee and, and donut hour afterwards, but this yes. seems like, at least in my case, in my parish, it's been hard to get that to, to feel like more than um, it just, it seems like it's it still is a hard way to meet people in general. Uh, and it, it would be much more significant, I think, if there was some sort of uh, culture of sitting down or something. So to your knowledge, what is uh, St. Elias, the Melkite Church, how did they kind of, uh, has that always been a part of their, their mission?
0: Yes. So I, and I saw this also at the Melkite Church in Virginia, which I visited. Um, and it does mean that people make the, uh, the commitment not only to help provide things, but to sit down and stay, um, and actually hang around, and the, and furthermore that the the pastor does as well, so that he is there, sitting down and just milling around and chatting, but um, but and eventually he takes his place and he sits down and he talks, and um, so even if it's a tiny little group that decide to do this, that will have an impact, and I and it, it's uh, th- there are obvious connections, I think, with the liturgy and then eating because of the you know the, the nature of the Eucharist itself and it was the, the introduction at the Last Supper. Uh, you know, the, the, there's, there's, the, the parallels are very very strong, um, but th- they seem to have a policy there of always uh, having some. Uh, it's, it's not a, a, a three course meal, mm. but it's something which you sort of help yourself to something put it on a plate and sit down um, along with a cup of coffee or a drink and then actually sit and chat with people Um, and it makes a huge difference it really does even if I you know I have to go fairly quickly and I'm just there for 15-20 minutes uh, which is quite a long for a coffee social you feel like you're hanging around for a while but if it's a sit down thing that that feels like you're ducking out early in a way um and it does generate this um, increased uh, sense of conviviality uh, in the community. Um, there's something special about it. Uh, but again, um, the, the, it, the, this is a small parish, so I asked Father Sebastian what he thought the ideal way of uh, the size of a parish would be, and he said about a hundred people or something like this. So you say, well, where are you going to get the priests from? And his answer was, well, if you organize this properly, um, you actually create new parishes by sending out missions from the old parishes, it's not from the diocese. It's They spread at a parish level. And so he encourages all the men to be servers, and they can do this in the Eastern Church, um, and to be involved in some way and then to start applying for the diaconate (laughs) and he sees this as part of the natural process of working out who is meant to be a priest and then that that parish will send a mission out somewhere else um, perhaps even with the priest being somebody who came out of that parish um, and will then establish another one And so it's an overflowing of grace, if you like, from the parish itself, is what he envisages. And he sees a natural size to this, which is based on the natural size of community. It was interesting that going all the way back to my book, The Way of Beauty, I talked about the creation of these colleges, which were educational communities. And rather than having, for example, I don't know, a chemistry department, which just grows and grows and grows and grows and everybody comes into the lecture, in the central department. The way that um, Oxford and Cambridge did it in the medieval model, which was never destroyed, um, is that once you got to maybe 350, 400 people in a college, which is where you live and, uh, and you eat and you pray, uh, even if you go off somewhere else for lectures, uh, you, that's really your educational community. Once it got beyond that, as the university grew, they founded another college. In other words, they felt that this community, there's an optimal size uh, for, in terms of the number of people you see, if you have these centralized activities sitting down and eating together, uh, beyond which everything starts to fragment. And uh, Father Sebastian certainly had this view that, that this applied to the parish. And actually, I think that this this would be a way that this is something the bishop should, could, might think about. Uh, it, that um, if you, why not at least found one parish on this basis and see whether it starts to generate priests and then from that send missions out from the parish rather than from the diocese. I, I don't know if it's even possible to do that in the way the, the Roman church is organized today.
1: Right. Now that I wanted to touch on because the Melkite church, uh, w- first of all, for people who might not be familiar with how they are structured and where they sort of fit, they are uh, in communion with the Roman Catholic church, but they're not Roman Catholic. They're not part of the Roman Catholic yeah, church. Yes. So
0: they they, 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 might call themselves Greek Catholic, they're Eastern Rite. They um, originate, the church originates from the Middle East. And I think they're going right the way way back to the early church, maybe even Jerusalem. Um, Its patriarch is in Antioch in Syria. So there are a lot of people coming over from the Middle East um, today to the US, and that church is growing. um, But they have taken a decision to uh, really be evangelical, not just to serve the people from the Middle East coming over, and their children, but to, to try and uh, establish communities which can offer the faith to all people who come. So, for example, the liturgy is in English. Uh, there is some Arabic, some Greek, but it's things such as you know you have Lord have mercy, Kyrie uh, eleison. They would do that in uh, English, Greek, and then Arabic, Ya Rabu Ram, and so. Some things are repeated in three languages, but for the most part, it's in English. Um, and so uh, they are interested in consciously in not just serving those who come from the, uh, where the church originated, but actually serving people here in the US where it is now. Um, and so this is why it's of concern to the bishop. This is why the Bishop Nicholas is thinking about it and why uh, the, the Saint Elias in Los Gatos is thinking about it too, that they've addressed, themselves, addressed this problem directly.
1: And their priesthood, how is it structured differently than the Roman Catholic priesthood?
0: Well, it's it's the same in, in essence, and I'm not an expert on this, but you're aware of uh, certain differences. So, um, priests can be married uh, as a matter of course. I, I, bishops can't, I think, so they draw from celibate priests. and. You can't marry once you're a priest. Uh, So if you go into the priesthood as a single man, you stay single. Um, But there's a natural flow through servers and uh, into the diaconate and then into the priesthood, as as far as I can perceive, uh, that's made relatively easy. So you, you have to do study and all the sort of things you'd expect. Uh, but there are no female servers, it's men only, um, you can have boys in there, of course, um, but it's seen as a, the model there is of uh, the priest is in Persona Christi and participating in that are the other servers, all those in the sanctuary. Um, there is a very, very strong congregational involvement in the singing uh, and the position of reader uh, is the, uh, the one who leads the singing of the responses, which is really the whole of the liturgy, is sung either by the priest or by the, the congregation led by the reader. Um, and that is a, a, an, uh, a sp- a, I was gonna say ordain, I don't know if it's ordained, but certainly um, an official position within the church. Um, And what it means is that actually the congregation involvement in the the singing is very, very high. What always strikes me is how everybody is singing all the liturgy um, right the way through. And much of it is the same every week, these ancient melodies and people just learn it by doing it. Um, Much higher level of participation than I see in Roman uh, Catholic churches.
1: So there are some lessons that uh, that perhaps can be can be drawn from, uh, from from this kind of a parish for anyone who's looking to uh, to improve the the I like that word conviviality of their own parish. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts on the the parish model and how this plays into the the broader theme of creating community?
0: Well, just to stress that whichever parish. Uh, you are part of uh, do you all of us uh, once we settle on one should uh, make it happen I think that this is that a part of one of the natural associations for most of us is the Christian community that we're part of Uh, we're meant most of us are meant to be part of a parish Um, and so it is really important that uh, we uh, contribute or try to contribute in some way uh, even if we don't get the results we want because it is natural to us to be in community as Christians uh, there's the family there's the nation and I think that church community again is something that we ought to be part of and so what I'm suggesting and we'll go on to uh, in future podcasts is really a, something that participates in that in the, the parish as the fundamental community Um, even if it's dysfunctional And remember one of the great things about the church and we'll close on this this story and and this is I heard that Peter Craig actually say this but he talked of somebody uh, wanting to convert in I think it was the 1500s or something went to his bishop in France and said I want to convert Um, and the bishop said okay well how about next you know i think you're ready let's do it immediately he said oh no i've got to travel to rome on business first um and i by coincidence i'm actually dealing with some people within the church in rome Uh, this was at the height of some abuses in rome and i don't know what was going on but the bishop tried to dissuade him and said well do you think you could come in before you make the trip to rome and he said no i've got to go and so the bishop sent him off with a prayer thinking, That'll, that's it. You know, he's going to see what's going on in Rome. It'll be the end of it. Um, and this merchant came back and said, right, I'm ready to go for it. And the bishop said, well, I'm very glad to hear that. But, you know, weren't you put off in some ways by the state of the church? And he said, absolutely not. He said, um, any organization that can be that bad and exist for so long has to come from God. And now I'm not saying that we're in the, the, the... I don't want to draw exact parallels, but what I am saying is that the church is a flawed institution. And so we work from where we are with the people we have, the community we have. And from that foundation with God's help, we can do great things, I believe. You've been listening to the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. For more information, Go to thewayofbeauty.org, and if you want to buy the book, go to amazon.com. <laughs>